Hello all and welcome to Accidental Careers, the podcast where we talk to people about their jobs. Was the path there windy? Were they jobs they even knew existed? Let's find out. This one is going to be really enjoyable and very vibrant. We have got today the beautiful Susan Holder and what, 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 what a career she's had. Get ready. Hello and what a wonderful privilege to have Susan Holder on the podcast today. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. How are you? I'm all right, actually. I'm not too bad today, uh, considering it's only Monday. I'm okay. (laughs) It's been a very long Monday here, so... Yeah, indeed it has. It has. Um, I'm really, really pleased to have you on because I know from meeting you a few times, Susan, that you've got some of the best stories I've ever heard. Oh, so. no, you see, no, you see that, that just builds me up so much that people can only be disappointed. They're not going to be, I'm sure. This po- this podcast is obviously put together around the theme of accidental careers. And most of the other people we've spoken to so far started out at school wanting to be something and went on to be something else but your kind of your path changed later didn't it because uh am I right in thinking that when you were nine years old your teacher told you you should be a journalist she did Mrs Murray and she was (laughs) spot on I think um and once I I found out what a journalist was because when she when she said oh you should be a journalist I hadn't got a clue what she was on about but like a good journalist I went away researched and found out and as soon as I had found out I completely agreed with her and set it as my absolute goal and Everything I did, the choices I made at GCSE and A-levels uh, and then went straight to Journalism College, I, I just followed that path religiously. But I have to say, I do think she was right because it did suit me down to the ground and it is I did love it. Um, and it kind of led to everything that followed. But little did yeah. I know kind of where I would end up. No, and that's amazing because when when most of my other guests have been at school, they kind of thought they wanted to be one thing and actually... <laughs> didn't even know that later jobs existed. I mean, no. I certainly didn't know my my day job existed when I was uh, when I was. At no, school. that's true. Um, actually, it's interesting. Isn't it? a, lot, a lot of kids don't get. I mean, I did have another ambition, obviously before. Um, I, I mean, I did have other things I thought I wanted to do. Mm. I was obsessed with Opportunity Knocks. I'd seen Lena Zavaroni <laughs> singing "Ma, He's Making Eyes at Me," and I thought that was absolutely for me. Um, That's I think it. That that possibly would have been more of a struggle, but I, um, but I, although I did, I could do a very good re- rendition of "Ma, He's Making Eyes at Me." So maybe, maybe I could have been the next Lena Zavaroni. Unfortunately, the world missed out on that. Or fortunately. Well, there's, t- there's time. There's time. Yeah, so you can maybe do it. Maybe take another. Maybe take another turn in that career path. Who knows? <laughs> You never know. But but when you when you kind of left school and you found the love for that kind of uh, writing and, and journalism and doing the research, you followed college. Let's talk about your first job in that sector. What where was that at? So I, I I worked in newspapers before I kind of went and volunteered, and they told me what you need to do is you need to go and get, and you still do I think to be a, a, a journalist, especially in newspapers, uh, the NCTJ certificate, you which do? is the National Council for the Training of Journalists. So by yeah. going and knocking on doors while I was still at school I um I was told that by editors who said yeah no we actually think you probably would make a good journalist but you do need to go and get this NCTJ and it was brilliant advice because you ask your teachers I want to be a journalist they just used to look at me blankly and one told me oh you I wouldn't I wouldn't try if I were you that's quite hard which always seemed to me rather weak advice (laughs) wow yeah I know so I don't the, the school careers teachers wanted you to be teachers because they mm. understood that 
or when you did work experience, they'd set you up at the local hospital, the local supermarket or the local bank. I didn't feel nursing was for me. I'm number dyslexic, so the bank was out and I didn't want to stack shelves. So I actually took myself off to the Express and Star in Wolverhampton. Because, again, in those days, this is like kind of Mm. early to mid-80s, there were no health and safety checks from school. I just said, can I come and do work experience here? And must have got somebody on a very good day who said, yes, you can. So my first experience of any newspaper was a very big, buzzy, busy newsroom, the Wolverhampton Express and Star news desk. Wow. And it was terrifying. And I was 15 and they sat me in a corner for most of the first day and forgot about me. And I was too terrified for quite a long time to even ask where the toilet was. But eventually I thought, well, this isn't any good. And so I kind of went, I am here, you know, can I do something? And they (laughs) went, oh, take her with you on the next story story that came up. But I suppose it was designed to put me off. And mm. it may well have done. It it didn't. It, even though I was terrified, even though I thought they were really quite rude and there was a lot going on yeah. I didn't understand and there was some very off-colour humour and jokes, I still <laughs> actually kind of loved the immediacy of, it, immediacy of it all, the fact that they were yeah. covering the breaking stories. And, and by the end of that week, I'd kind of, you know, settled and they were taking me out on more things I never did anything particularly I just watched but they they kind of realized I wasn't I think they were just saying well she probably won't come back in tomorrow and when I did and then I did again every day you turned up yeah yeah I turned up every day didn't occur to me not to actually so that was my very first experience and then wetted that kind of wetted my appetite I then went and knocked on the door of there's a lot of knocking on doors (laughs) Which Back is exactly... in the day, I don't do it anymore now. My kids, honestly, I go, go and go in and have a... And I've no, said it to ooh. my son in the past, yeah. go and knock on a door. And he just looks at me like I'm crazy. Um, yeah. But I, I knocked on the door of the Black Country Bugle um, and worked there for two... I mean, it was not a busy, buzzy newspaper. It was kind of... It, but it had... The Black Country Bugle was a Midlands newspaper that ran lots of kind of historical stories. And there ah. were lots of people of pensionable age who would come in and tell you things. That, oh. but, but again... Again, that was a very good experience of listening to people's stories and learning Mm. about life through people, which is what journalism is. So I did that for two years. So by the time I then went and did the... um, the two years in, I did. I, I got a place in Cardiff to do the NCTJ, uh, and I and I got got my qualification. I then went back to some of the newspaper editors who I'd kind of mithered before, and went, "Remember me? You said I could have a job if I got here," and waved my certificate. Yeah. And they kind of went, "Oh yeah, you, yeah, mm, okay. Well, the, we've got a bit of temporary work here, and they just come put me on. Well, I, I went. It was part of a newspaper group in the in the Midlands, so there was papers in Hales, Owen, Stan. Bridge, Dudley, right. Bromsgrove, Redditch. So they had like six or seven papers. There was a little kind of spot for temping, so I went and did that. They said, but the mm. next job that comes up on any... Will you work in any of these places? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll work on yeah. any of them. Uh, and the yeah. next one that came up was in Redditch. And I, without hesitation, I know, without hesitation, I went, okay, I didn't know much about Redditch. I didn't really know it was kind of like a mini Milton Keynes that I would forever get lost in. Um, but... but <laughs> And nobody, my, my mum, I think she, my mum, every single time my mum visited, she'd find me, but then she would always get lost leaving. It was just, I think she still okay. might, she still might be on the ring road, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, but it's a very, Give her a ring after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you still in Redditch? Um, it was a very strange place. But, um, but yeah, the first permanent job, and they were as good as their word, and they sent me to Redditch, where I worked on the 
great name for a newspaper. The Redditch Advertiser and Indicator. The Redditch Advertiser and Indicator. What a lovely mouthful. <laughs> what a mouthful. <laughs> what a lovely mouthful. Wow. Wow. Well, it's it's great to hear that you obviously did a few different things uh, yeah. on the way through to that um, journalism. And you've obviously got a passion for it, which is still with you, I can tell. Mm. Um, and especially with some of the things that you're doing of late. Yes. But you kind of you kind of put that down slightly and took a little bit of a turn when you moved into TV. Talk, talk us through that. Well, it it was kind of logical and illogical at the same time. So I had never had the ambition. I never really connected the dots about I wanted to write and I want and I loved newspapers and news. That was my first love. And I still, you know, I do love that. And I I, I mourn greatly the the passing of local news in the way that it was and having, Mm. you know, I I live near Macclesfield and, you know, the the local Macclesfield office isn't there anymore. Everything comes through the Manchester Evening News, um, you know, main office. office, And, And I do think local reporting is very important. I think it's very important for people's lives for local issues for the stories that we need to know about for the information we still need I know you can google things in a way we couldn't back in the day but you still causes and things that are important to people I think local news is very important so I never really wanted to kind of go beyond that I I saw there was a, a career path for me in that I was chief reporter within a couple of years um, of being at the Redditch Advertiser and Indicator. And then <laughs> and we also had a, a little kind of paper, the Ulster Chronicle, which covered oh. a little kind of countryside area. And I got given that as kind of that was mine. So I ran the Ulster Chronicle by myself. I, I just I had to do a, a front page lead, six inside stories and some colour features every week. And not a lot happened. It was a tr- it was a test. Not a lot happens in Ulster, but you had to find it. So, How to make um, something out of nothing? You did, you yeah. did. But it meant you got to know the colour and you got to know the people. So I loved all that. Um, and then um, after that, I started working for the Worcester Evening News for a while. You just kind of get kind of pushed further and further on yeah. as you kind of go, and you and you and you. And then I took a job um, as a um, an agency reporter for Cater's News Agency in Birmingham. So mm-hmm. I and there was a lot of quarter, but so that was again it was a it was a it was a bit more gritty. We were in the middle of Birmingham. There was a lot more, and obviously it was a news agency, so we were covering national stories. You'd cover mm. all the stories for the local area, but for the nationals. So one day you could be writing for the guardian but the next day you'd be writing for the mirror so you would again I I was thriving on all this I loved all this there was quite a few big stories happened Hillsborough happened while I was there Lockerbie happened while I was there um and we covered the kind of Midlands angles of all that um but then one day um my um my boss said um oh I've got a, a strange job for you um they need a, they need some research extra research help at central television and I thought you'd be good at that so um that's what you're doing so just as part as an agency worker he sent me to work for a week um on a, a it was a late night tv debate show oh. and I think yeah so in, in the northwest they, you had something called upfront and yes. it was central weekend live which was the original and upfront was the kind of northern version of it a bit like the jeremy kyle show um in a forerunner of or jerry springer that kind of show where people would come on debate things so i got put on this yeah jerry springer (laughs) i got put on like this show and within three days of being there uh, the, the producer of that show said to me do you know what i think this is this is kind of your kind of thing do you fancy working here full time? We've got a job starting kind of in a couple of months. You could come back full time. 
and I bit his arm off. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, my. The boss at the agency was not happy with me when I went back and set and put my notice in. Yeah, because he was like, "I brokered this deal, and now you're leaving." And I was like, "Yeah, but I, but I, I can't tell you. I had, there were very many good reasons why I needed to leave that agency as well. <laughs> it was, it was just, mm, yes, yeah, there were things going on there that, which looking back now, would make your hair curl. Um, so I was quite glad to get out of there. Um, but it, yeah, so I then that was my segue into television. Um, which I didn't, I was, I didn't go looking for. It literally dropped into my lap. So you had a bit of an accidental change in your career. I there. certainly did. Yes, I did. Yeah. And and I don't know, kind of, at what point you got onto the big show that I'm aware of. But kind mm. of talk us through the so, path yeah, so to I that because the listeners w- will be fascinated. Yeah, I'm sure. I worked on Central Weekend for a couple of years, and whatever I've done before or since, Central Weekend was the maddest place to work. Was it? Do you remember the um, the comedy show Drop the Dead Donkey? Yes, I do. Right, set in a newsroom. Yeah. For me, that was not a sitcom. That was a documentary. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. It was, it was, it, you couldn't, I used, oh yeah, I, I used to tell my husband about things that went on in Central Weekend. And he's like, I don't know why you're bothering all week to slave over producing a programme. You should just film your office. And you, yeah, it was just mad. There was some, it was crazy times. People would ask you to do the most ridiculous things. And I was young. I was, you know, 22 or something. I didn't know Go any better. I was, yeah. yeah, I was just like, yeah. So, I mean, I remember being sent to, I remember being sent out in a car to sit in a, in a lay-by for someone to, we didn't have mobile phones those days, but we'd have those beeper things. What are they called? Not Pages. Beeper pages someone to page me an address to go to to film the first ever acid house party oh i just went on my own to a warehouse in the middle (laughs) this middle of a of of a field to do that and you just didn't question it really and then and you you know you'd be you'd be asked to book a helicopter and six dwarves by five o'clock and you'd just go okay and you'd do it and then you'd go and very proudly present the fact that you'd got you know whatever six or seven dwarves or you know, presumably actually no would ever, would ever ask you for six they would always want seven seven seems, seven yeah. dwarves <laughs> um, perhaps I only got six and, and because maybe I'd only got six they dropped the item you I'd worked all day but I've got okay. the helicopter oh no we stood the helicopter down. it was just bonkers um, but while I was there, one of the guests was my husband, Noddy Holder, who I met. This, this is the kind of crazy place it was that you would just meet your future husband. Future husband's at work. Because yeah, that seemed normal at the time, um, which of course isn't. Even looking, you know, <laughs> even then, I knew it wasn't. And looking back, it certainly wasn't. And it, I, I moved in with Nod and moved up to Granada, worked there for a while, and it eventually led to me being the exec producer of Loose Women. I mean, I can't, I it this. sounds crazy just saying it, but it was even more crazy when I look back at how I got from one location to another. Trust me, there was no great career plan. Well, and this is the fun thing about it, because these are incredible stories, you know, being the executive <laughs> producer of Loose Women, you know, yeah. that's not something you say every day. No. I mean, how how much fun was it doing that job? Yeah, it was fun. Um, it was fun, but it was very, at the time, I mean, I'm talking over 20 years ago loose women's been around a lot longer than any of us think yeah it's it's quite shocking how how long it's been there um i um and i'd never done network before i was about to hand my notice in to stop working in television altogether because my son was about five or six and i'd realized that 
the 3.30 pickup that needed to be done every day was something I wanted to do. I didn't want to outsource that. Um, yeah. And and the only answer to how to pick him up from school at 3.30 every day was that I shouldn't be in the office Quit. working on a programme. Um, so I had decided what my answer, and then they, I got this without I, again. There was no interview. I did not go knocking on a door saying, "Hey, can I produce Loose Women?" It was just <laughs> the, the it hadn't occurred to me. But I'd been working in news, current affairs, all sorts of different programs. I'd been working on a channel called Men and Motors, which you may or may not remember from back in the I day. Do indeed, yes. Yeah, I know nothing about cars. Can I just say I, I was on the more of the men side. It was quite a kind of. It was a bit, there was a lot of the programming. It was a bit like um, Celebrity Juice now, but we were like the forerunner of that. It was yeah. quite kind of laddy. That was, that was a lot of fun. I'd been doing all that and then I just got called in one day and they went, so the uh, exec producer job of Loose Women is coming. We think you'd be good at it. And I was like, do you? <laughs> okay. Um, great. Great. And I really couldn't turn down that opportunity to do network television oh no absolutely um, not I just thought yes I, ha- I have to make this work um and and so I did but it kind of was the end of me because <laughs> it was very high pressured it was very full-on um, yeah I can imagine I had I had a, you know I did a lot of it with Weetabix in my hair um and I've it's always how it felt not many of the women at the time and I did argue very strongly against this but not many of the women on the panel at the time had children which I didn't think was very representative for the people who were watching it at home. But that was just how it was. Um, A lot of them are still there and have children now and they've grown up, but but they didn't then. So they didn't really understand why I would conduct half of the morning meeting from my car on Mm. a car phone because... And they were like, why can't you get in earlier? I was like, well, the nursery doesn't open and they don't allow you to post them through the letterbox. You do have to hand them to a person. You can't just leave. I can't leave him in a cardboard box outside. See how he gets on and, yeah, till I get back. Yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Um, And so that was quite, and I do remember, I I used to, I mean, I loved my job, but you always, you know, you love your kid more. And I I remember driving in after dropping him some days, just crying all the way in because I'd, I just thought I've he's not really eating all his breakfast and I've just left him at nursery and then you'd yeah. do a full day's work and everything you know something would keep you in the office for that extra half hour every day every day and then I'd cry all the way home again and and oh. so I did a couple of seasons and then I called it quits on that and just thought much as I love and I I did have a bit of an identity crisis when during I, that time well when I left because I I I didn't I never had a, a moment where somebody said what do you do I didn't have anything to say mm-hmm. and I as a woman I mean mm. somebody said to me but it's not what you are it's what you do and I was like no but it is what I am mm. it is what I am that's I, I was like you're wrong actually what you do can be what you are and I had Absolutely. to find something else to be I felt because I'd always had something in my life that was creative which then led me to your to your to next accidental swervy in your career. But yeah. how, were you, did you have a moment, Susan, where you thought, how do I top what I've just done? I was the executive producer yeah. of Loose Women. That must have felt yeah. like a really um, moment when, that you reached yeah. that. It, yes, it did. And, and it was hmm. a big it was a big wrench to, to, to move away. 
and some of the people that I trained, that I hired, that I selected and gave jobs to, I have watched kind of go on to be BAFTA yeah. award winning and to do great big shows. And I just think, oh, I wonder, I wonder if that's what would have happened. You know, we don't know that that would have happened if I'd stayed. But but no, the 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 what ifs are yeah. It yeah, you can't, you can't you can't you can't think like that. No. I never re- regretted it. Um, yeah. But. It's it, it and, I, and I do believe very strongly. I you know I, I would say I, I I get asked to speak to young people all the time and to the young women. I you know I I will say you can do anything you can, but the, yeah. the having it all sometimes means not all at once. You Absolutely. can have it all, but having it all at the same time is is the is the bit that I still I still think women will struggle with because it's not addressed properly it's not you know and because it's not that it's not that women have to take a step back from the career but it's just if you have a child sometimes you want to because of course you just you want, want to, be that to spend part of time with that little person yeah. you've created you didn't do it just for a laugh <laughs> and you and you won't get that time back again and, and no. I do think I do think you know Going back to uh, when you when you first had um, your son, mm. I think things have made a drastic turnaround, you know, but do they're not so? quite worth. I do think there's been some shift, but I don't think I we're so. quite there yet. And I think no, I don't. The, I don't think we are. And I think until we until we talk about it more, and actually mm. until until people like Lorraine Kelly on Good Morning Britain ask a man who has a small child, how do you juggle your amazing career and your yeah. child? Until they start asking men that, we will always be at a disadvantage because they yeah. always ask women. They always ask Sophie Ellis Bexter, how yeah. do you do it? I mean, she has got five children, so it is, I mean, we're all interested. How does she do that? How does she do that? But they don't ask her husband, Richard, no. who plays in her band. They never ask no. him. And I yeah. just think it's, we need it's... to even it. We do. And we've we've got a little bit more understanding going on in the workplace. And I do think the pandemic has kind of consolidated that further in terms of flexible working, etc. And I, I tend to have been around people who've understood whether they've quite accepted it and said, yeah, of course, mm. you're doing just as good a job as you would be if you, you know, you didn't have to do X, Y, or Z. But, you know, we could have a whole other podcast. Yeah, could, that's, that, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we could have a whole other podcast about that. <laughs> But but now you uh, are entertaining us in other ways. Uh, you've definitely entertained me because I've um, I've read the first book. Oh. But 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 just let's go back from the book and yeah. talk about it. it. Was really first a play? Am I right in thinking? You're yeah, this is the play. biggest accident of all, really, and yeah. the biggest thing I didn't see coming. I mean, as obviously I've always written, obviously I've always loved to write. But as a journalist, I'm used to quick turnaround and immediacy, and I'm quite an impatient person, so that suits me. And although I love the idea of writing a book, oh, don't we all love the idea of writing a book? Yeah. 90,000 words minimum is is a heck of a commitment. So it didn't really ever occur to me to try that. I didn't think that was my thing. I thought, no, I'm short, sharp. I'm to the point. I'm not going to, you know, how much could I describe things to get to 90,000 words? Also, you Mm. need to have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and a genre to write in, and I hadn't yep. really ever considered that either. And I, because also as a journalist, I'd always based what I wrote in fact. Um, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't considered fiction. However, 
when I stepped back from Loose Women, I needed to do something. I was at this kind of... So I went on a creative writing course at, okay. at Macclesfield College just because I thought that was an interesting thing to do and mm-hmm. started writing some short stories and things like that through that. And we'd have to read them out in the group. And I did kind of find that my default was always to write something that would perhaps make people chuckle, that would be something a little bit funny. So that seemed to be what was coming out without me even really trying. I then decided, my son decided then he wanted to do a he wanted I wanted to go to a drama class and there wasn't any locally and his school didn't do anything so again I kind of thought oh I could fill that gap I could do that so I set Mm -hmm. up a company teaching drama which I did for years and as a result of that started writing little scripts for the kids to do which led to me writing scripts for the local pantomime um, group youth pantomime group in Presby. It's been running for like fifty years, um, but they asked me to be director. So I said, "Well, I'll do it if I can write my own scripts." Um, because I didn't, I'd, I'd looked at some of the scripts that I, I could get hold of, mm. and considering there were eleven to eighteen year olds, a I didn't not they were weren't all appropriate. I didn't think the humour, and also the okay. kids just didn't, didn't get the jokes. Um, no. Kids' frame of reference is very specific, so you have to be quite when you write for children, you have to know or young people, you have to be able to know what they will get, and also their language, yeah, their yeah. language, but also just their references are different. So you do have to explain to them, well, this is funny because, but you have to be able to make it understandable to them. So I wanted to do that myself, so I did that. And that led to those scripts then being um, sold around the world on a, a website called Lazy Bees Scripts. So people, you can, once you've done your script, they, they will, if they approve it, they will put it on their website. And people all over the world have now bought my Cinderella Aladdin Adventures in the East and wow. um, Pe- and Peter Pan a Panto scripts. So I've had it, I've seen them on YouTube performed in places like Canadian mounties doing cinderella it was very strange and and all over the world and australia and south america as well as lots of um youth clubs and um amateur dramatics adult amateur dramatics um uh, companies here in the uk and then one of my friends from my television days uh, a director called Noreen Kershaw, who some people might know as an actress. She was in Life on Mars, but she also directed Coronation Street and many other things. She does quite a oh. few other big programmes. She's just done Call the Midwife, actually. She directs Call the Midwife. She came to see, my, bless her, she came to see the, the kids performing the pantomime that I'd written. And she went, why are you not, why are you just writing pantomimes? Why don't you write a play? It had never occurred to me. So I went, what do you think I could? She went, clearly, you should you should write something. So yes. she sort of, and I am, I can be kind of flattered into most things, it would appear. If you suggest, I'm very suggestible. <laughs> Don't ever suggest anything to me. I'll do it. I'll make a note of that, Susan. Yeah, I'll, no, I'll use I'm, that. I'll worry who I tell that to, to be honest. But I am very suggestible, highly suggestible. So I just thought, and I just see everything like that as a challenge. So I, I did. I went away and I, 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 a few friends had been telling me about some dating nightmares they were having. Um, my son had just this this is a period of time shows the period of time in my life that had gone by my son had just left to go to university in Liverpool so I was going over to Liverpool a lot so the setting suggested itself these like dating horror stories which also I think I was picking up on because I have those in my past mm-hmm. and then and then music is very important to me and I wanted to write something with a musical kind of backbeat to it so I ended up writing a play called Shake It Up Baby 
about a woman who was living in Liverpool, becoming an empty nester, as I obviously was, who tries internet dating to try and find a man to love as much as she loves Paul McCartney. And kind of hilarity and disaster ensue. So I wrote this play. It got put on a fringe theatre in Manchester. We did performances in Liverpool. And it actually kind of took off in a way that I would never have imagined this was possible lots of theatres were talking to me about it a West End producer picked up on it um, and we were all set we'd cast we'd done um, some initial workshops we were going to take it on a UK theatre tour and then the pandemic hit and theatres closed down and it all went down the drain and it just everything was taken away from me on that kind of level Mm. Um, uh, but in the meantime the writing the the action of writing that play I think had kind of given me a bit more confidence to string more words together Um, and I'd start to tinker with some ideas for a book and so I kind of turned my once I'd kind of got over the the shock and the horror and realized oh gosh this isn't going to end in about three weeks which bizarrely I think is what we all thought to begin with it would be over in a month um, yeah, when I realized we it, did. <laughs> yeah, we did. And um, when I realised it wasn't all going to be over in a month and I certainly had a lot more time on my hands than I was trapped in the house, <laughs> I decided to write it as a book. And, yeah, and that's what I did. And I'm going to make so- it... I don't want to make this sound like an easy thing at all because it, it wasn't easy. And no. it wasn't easy to get a... Um, I tried to get a literary agent. I tried very hard. And I started to get a bit of good feedback but I didn't get a literary agent and I still don't have a literary agent um I don't I don't know that they actually read any emails you send them um, (laughs) generally um uh, but I did get published by uh, a division of Harper Collins by a publisher called One More Chapter and I and I, I got the book published and I got a second and I wrote a second book um which was inspired by my love of Elvis about a woman who travels to Memphis because she's told by her grandmother that they have a secret family connection to Elvis Presley and she kind of goes over there discovers the truth falls in love has adventures that was all inspired by a trip that I made to Memphis when I was 25 um so the and true true life true life experiences have come into that second book. Totally true life experience. More true life true life of my own stories in Rock and Rose, my second book, than really in Shake It at Beverly. I say Shake It at Beverly. I did kind of feed into that whole. Oh my gosh! Isn't dating just kind of so bizarre and, and don't we all yeah. and don't we all behave weirdly? I mean, the book does detail. So she Beverly has this sequence of dates that all go disastrously wrong but the story and the, and the book is not just for anyone who, who's worried about it it's not you know a, 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 it's a cautionary tale but I do think internet dating actually possibly nowadays is a perfectly acceptable way to find people there's no I'm not I'm not trying to put people off it and the book isn't about all men are awful apart from Paul McCartney I mean you could make that argument mm. you could and I've met him and I feel very vindicated now. I mean, I met him way after I wrote the, the embarrassingly, way after I wrote the story. He's um, got a copy of that book, hasn't he, though, Susan? Oh, my gosh, he does. Because last year, <laughs> because when I wrote the play, I knew somebody who had his email. And I just wanted to confess that I'd written this play about 
a Beatles obsessed fan who's in love with Paul McCartney and he's trying to find yeah. a man to match up to him. And I just thought, I we know people in common, and I don't know why I thought he'd be the slightest bit bothered. I mean, I knew he wouldn't really, but I just thought, I just want to say, look, I've done this. I hope it's, I've done it with love. I've done it with respect. I hope it's okay. Yeah. So I sent him an email saying that. And I just wanted to get it off my chest, really. I wasn't kind of looking Done. for any, anything mm. as an answer. The very next day, I get an answer from Paul McCartney. Wow. Which is, On I an mean, email. the fact I say Bizarre. that is just, I even I have to pinch myself. So in my inbox is this saying, hi, Susan. Paul McCartney. This, oh, my goodness. Saying, hi, Susan, this all sounds fab. I swear to you, he used the word fab. Fab. This of course all, he did. This all sounds, yeah, this all sounds fab. Good luck with it all. Um, although how Paul McCartney can be anybody's ideal man is a bit of a stretch. Uh, <laughs> love to nod and Django, my husband and my son. Wow. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant. Lovely. Thank you very much. So I didn't reply. I wasn't thinking this was opening the door to a kind of, you know, some Friendship. sort of you know, pen pal relationship with <laughs> yeah. Paul McCartney. Um, so I didn't bother him. I just thought, yeah. But then, of course, the play got taken away. Everything went down the plug hole. We were at an event then in Liverpool after the pandemic. And all of a sudden, I find Paul McCartney is at my elbow. And um, I just said, oh, I just want to say to you that you won't remember that you sent me this lovely email um, when I told you about my play. And I just want to thank you so much because you really didn't need to. But how lovely of you. And he said, oh. That's no problem. How's it all going? So I said, well, actually, it's not going very well at all, really, with the play, because obviously the pandemic sort of wrecked it and it's not come yeah. back as yet. However, I have another confession. I, I, I rewrote it as a book and I got a deal with HarperCollins. So he said, oh, do you want to send me a copy? And yeah, I don't know what happened, but I just went, actually, I've got a copy in my bag. Of course because you're up, I Susan. Did, well, well, no, but come on, I've met you. Did I, did I press my book into your... Did I produce... No. I didn't. No. No, I don't didn't. always have a copy in my bag, but I was having, I was do, actually, look, I'll be honest. I was doing an interview in Liverpool the very next day because we were in Liverpool. So I had it with me. That's Good. all it was. No, no one believes me, but that is what happened. And so he went, yeah, no, that's great. And because it just kind of, I'd shocked myself by producing my own book in front of Paul McCartney. I then, I was having a bit <laughs> of a perfect. moment. I just went, Shall I sign it for you? And and he's such a lovely man. My husband was just like covering his eyes at this point with the with the horror what? of what I'd just done. <laughs> and and he's such a lovely man, Paul McCartney, that he didn't scoff or laugh in my face or go, "Well, I don't really need your autograph. I'm Sir Paul McCartney." He went, "That would be lovely. Thank you." Oh. And and it and it wasn't until my pen kind of touched the page. I shuddered with horror at what I was doing and all words fell out of my head and I couldn't think what to write. And what I should have written was to Paul, love from a paperback writer, because that would have been Classic funny and clever. Line. But that I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I just put to Paul, thanks for everything, Susan, <laughs> because I, just, I mean, he probably just thought, you know, poor girl. Anyway, that was that. But he went off with the book. I know Brilliant. on that day he was leaving to fly to Japan like to think that the journey went very swiftly for him because he was laughing away at my book but i don't that book yeah but we are we are due to be at an event later this summer which he may be at and i'm not you can ask going him. anywhere near him because <laughs> i don't can you imagine what i do i want a paul mccartney review i just hey, hey paul how was the book yeah probably not <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, did you oh, miss bless. it? Oh, my. And he'll go, what are you talking about? No, I don't know. But I like to think he keeps it on his bedside table and he loved yeah. it. And if, if he does, if he says anything at all, trust me, I should put it on social media. But oh, um, God, I'll be but watching yeah. out for that because I, I, I want the next instalment of this story. I really, really do. <laughs> but it, it's that, that Paul McCartney story has made me chuckle every time I've heard it. I just absolutely, I'll never, oh, ever tell it. Everyone else thinks it's hilarious. But literally, oh, I, I wake up screaming at night about that. Shall I remember in that for? moment what was I thinking <laughs> but I, I challenge anybody to be confronted with a beetle and not kind of go to pieces a bit because... yeah, yeah what would you do yeah I, I, I'm with you on that I'm with you on that yeah but then we've moved on from the Beatles to Elvis the next yeah. book I've not read the yeah. second book I have to confess it's, it's on cool. my list of things to do so I've read Shake It Up Beverly and I chuckled out loud so it was great <laughs> yeah just to say we changed when, obviously when it changed from the play to the book the play was Shake It Up Baby and we yes. changed the book to Shake It Up Beverly um, yes so yeah so but it's this, it, and the story was all the all that was in the play was in the book but obviously it had to be extended and, extended and it, the story go, people who have seen the play love the book because it tells everybody what happened after the moment that, the we, that, that yeah. ended in the play which was which was cool so fantastic and then your stories of uh your memphis your journey to yes. memphis that it, yes. which kind of can, can give the readers a flavor uh, the readers give the listeners so, what they uh, <laughs> yeah well they will be readers give, if give they somebody, read my book give, give, <laughs> give the new readers so, that you're likely um, to get a little snippet of what it's yeah. about so basically i had a couple of things happen to me when i went to memphis when i was 25 i i because I'd had like just this weird experience of boyfriends who just kind of you only knew they were your boyfriend because they were meaner to you than anybody else. It was you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not kind of, you know, it just was that kind of time where people were quite kind of grumpy and I just wasn't picking the right people at all. And no person that I met was seen to be on my wavelength, which is why I've ended up with Noddy Holder, which is bizarre. <laughs> but um but it's lasted thirty two years. So hey, you know, there must yeah. be something going on there. But um but before him yeah, I couldn't find anyone who wanted to do the things I wanted to do. And one of the things I wanted to do was to go to Memphis and see Graceland and see Sun Studios where rock and roll was born. I was I was an 80s girl who didn't really like 80s music. I like 50s music yeah. and, 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 and 60s music as well. But rock and old rock and roll is my thing. So I wanted to go. So I booked myself on a trip to go to Memphis and it was an organised trip, but I didn't have anyone to go with. But I thought, well, it's an organised trip, I'll be OK. Yeah. Not really realising that I would be the only person travelling alone. Everyone else was in partnerships or friendship groups. And there I was, the youngest person by a country mile on this trip. Mm. And a Billy Nomates. So it was all a bit weird. But I got there and the first bizarre thing that happened was at checking at the um, the motel on Elvis Presley Boulevard thrilled as I was to be there I was quite nervous and a bit yeah. you know it's a long way to go and I was you know I'd not really been that many places I was a black country girl very far from home and the reception receptionist to my horror said they didn't have a room for me um so I was I got that lump in my throat where I thought I was going to cry oh yeah and 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 she was like can't you share with any of these people I was like I don't know any of these people people um but suddenly she came to my rescue and said, well, do you know what? We've got somebody who hasn't turned up who's meant to be on this trip. Um, and it was, no word of a lie, a Russian Elvis impersonator had been booked to be the um, entertainment. And his paperwork had not been in order. So he'd been held at the airport. So they said, well, he's got a really good room, but he's not. we don't know what's going to happen. So you will put you there for now. 
and oh. we'll see what happens. Okay. So I'm like, any port in a storm, I'll take it. They showed me to his room. It was a nice room. So I'm like, cool. So just two months before this, I had met the man I would eventually marry, Mr. Noddy Holder. So, but this was before mobile phones. I wasn't going to pay for a transatlantic call. So I wrote no. him a postcard that said, As um, you did then. I've arrived Love safely. Uh, yeah, I've arrived safely. I'm in the bed of a Russian Elvis impersonator. I'll explain all when I get home. He's still got that. Um, I, I, I was chanting my arm there, wasn't I? But anyway, he's yeah. still got. He's still got that postcard. Um, and I always. And anyway, luckily for me, well, luckily for me in some ways, it depends on what the Russian Elvis impersonator had been like. But luckily for me, mm. he didn't turn up, so I got to keep the room for the entire trip. He actually got turned back. He got sent back to Russia, and you can Google this Russian Elvis impersonator story. It's a true story. He actually went on the Elvisly Yours trip the following year. But we didn't have him. We never saw him. But hey, good for he me. I got his room. But I always wondered what would have happened had he turned up. Mm. So when I came to write my book about a young girl having adventures in Memphis, a Russian Elvis impersonator is part of the cast of characters. Ah, and his okay. arrival is a very, very funny moment. And I had a lot of fun writing that because it was it was what I'd always wondered. I always wondered what would happen and now I know because I I I, I made him appear. You've um, rewritten that other, story. Yeah. I have written that story. But the other thing that happened was uh, which was even more bizarre was uh we all got t- taken to Tupelo, which is Elvis's birthplace, which is about a four hour drive from Memphis and you get to see the little yeah. shack where he was born and you get to see the hardware store where his parents bought him his first guitar. And then after we'd done all that, they said, oh, you've got a bit of time. The coach isn't leaving for another half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour. Take a little look around Tupelo, mm. meet back at the bus. Fine. So I go wandering down Tupelo Main Street, not intending to do much. But again, I'm kind of on my own. I mean, I did make some friends on that trip. but <laughs> You I was did kind of, speak to other people then. I did, yeah. I did. I, yeah, they were lovely people, really. But I was kind of on my own. So I kind of, mo- and, and I spotted in a shop window a pair of boots. Well. You, you should never come between a girl and a, and a, pair, and a great pair of boots. So no. I, I went in and the boots in the window were the only ones like that they had in stock. They were my size. They fitted. I bought the boots. Having them. So yeah. I put them on. I put them on my little old feet and I came out feeling quite the southern belle in my little western boots. Only to see that the street was a lot quieter than it had been when I went in. And, yep. I, and suddenly I heard a noise and way down um, the, the street, I saw my bus kicking up dust as it haired out of Tupelo back to Memphis without me. Four so hours I, away, yeah? Yeah, four hours away. Oh, I have okay. no mobile phone. I don't know how you'd get from Tupelo to Memphis anyway. So I jump up and down screaming, waving my arms, but to no avail, off the bus goes. And there's just a <gasps> cloud of dust in its wake. At that point, as I'm standing there, just with my arms still up in the air, uh a, a huge gleaming motorcycle pulls alongside me and a motorcycle cop, um, no helmet, but mirrored shades, looks me up and down. He pulls out, can I help you, ma'am? So I kind of blather something about <laughs> no, boots no, and my no. bus in Memphis. <laughs> and he goes, hop on. So I, and I think, well, what choice do I have? And also he's quite hunky. So I yeah. get on the bike wrap my arms around his shirt clad back and oh, wow. we hair out of Tupelo. He eventually catches the bus, swings the bike in front, literally stops traffic. And as I get off the bike to thank him, he um, gives me his number and asks me to call him. 
Oh, and everyone if. on the bus who go, oh, look, that's the girl on our trip. Yes, it is. And you've forgotten me. Um, they think I'm getting a ticket. But I always wondered what they think I was getting a ticket for, because I don't think buying boots is illegal. Yeah, no. Anyway, <laughs> Last time I checked, um, it was OK. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fine. Anyway, I get back on the bus to huge cheers and applause, because it was quite the spectacular entrance. Yes, I can imagine. It's like, <laughs> and wow. the most rock and roll thing that had ever happened to me to that point in my life. Um, but, of course, I never called the guy. Because I'd already met the man. You had other yeah. rock and roll plans at home at Noddy Holder. You don't but need somebody to. But yeah. somebody did have the presence of mind to get off the bus and take a picture of us. And wow. if they hadn't, I, even I would think, I've made did this that, up. Did that, that didn't happen. happen. To me. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, the other thing I forgot to say, he did introduce himself to me and told me his name was Officer Joe Cody. But because of his eyes, everyone calls him Blue. Ooh, hello, hello, hello. They were Officer very Cody. blue eyes. He, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Anyway, um, so when I came to write my adventure about a, a, a girl in Memphis who was kind of looking to, for a family secret, but along the way falls in love, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder okay. who I could have her fall in love with, and that. And when you write um, romantic comedy, they always say you should have a meet cute which is a cute way for your protagonist to meet. Ah. I, I couldn't make up a better meet cute than that. So I thought, oh. there's my meet cute So I absolutely loved. And that part right, of the story, it was, it was, I didn't make anything up. And I Amazing. lived it. So I knew how it felt. And I knew, so that was great. And the, the, the even better thing was, because I never called him, I have to tell you, Officer Cody seemed like a really nice guy. But mm. who knows? Who knows what he was really like? But Ooh. in my book, I could make him anything I wanted to anyway. be. So he's really great. <laughs> so I've got to get that now. Just remind us again what it's called, Susan. It's called Rock and Rose. Rock and Rose. Okay. Well, you listening to you talk about these books, it's kind of like you light up the room. You're oh. obviously enjoying doing that. So yeah. there's got there's got to be an, another one coming, surely. There, there is. I mean, it's taking. It's it's more difficult, I think. Once the books, because the both books came out in quick succession, so I didn't mm. have any review. I mean, all my reviews, have, I mean, I've had some lovely, lovely reviews. But yes. once people start telling you what you th- think and asking you questions, it just kind of like makes you double, double think everything when you're doing it. So I just think, yeah, it's like I, that's why musicians all talk about the difficult second album. For me, yeah. it's the difficult third book because I've got two that I'm really, really pleased with. I'm so happy with how they turned out. And Mm. I've had so many great comments from readers, men and women, because because both books have got the musical element to them. They talk the the first book talks a lot about the Beatles and Liverpool and the the setting is all kind of a lot of the things that go on in that book are inspired by real things in Liverpool. So it's rooted very much in my in my journalistic sort of background of setting things to make them. It is believable because a lot of it is real and can yeah. be done and is there. And the same then with the um, the Elvis book. I've been to Grace and I've been to Sun Studios. If you've, ne- if you've been to Memphis, you'd love the book because it would remind you. If you've Other never things. been, read the book because it mm. would tell you all those things you want to know. So for the third book, I think I've set myself quite a task. More difficult, follow. yeah. And I think it would. But I do have a plot I do have a setting. I even have a musical element, but I'm not telling anybody what that is at the moment because it's still early days. Yeah. It is. It's not Slade, 
just so I will because <laughs> everybody's one out. expecting that, aren't they? Yeah, right yeah. about Slade, which I know. No, I, I'm not going to do that at the moment because if if I was going to write anything about Slade, I probably wouldn't fictionalize it that much because there's no. a great story to be told Happened. there yeah. that doesn't need to be fictionalized. Mm. I also think it's time having having done a book that ha- that features the Beatles and features Elvis. I think it's time a female artist took centre stage. Oh, well, so, I'm excited so I'm, to think who that might be. So the be. music of that would be would be kind of there, I think. Um, okay. But it starts in Edinburgh because I love going to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival. I think it's yeah. a great, very exciting. Again, a lot of crazy things happen in Edinburgh. Lot you that that August time where creative people from all over the world congregate Get together. There. It's a really yeah. good melting point. That's my starting point. Okay. And we might have a transatlantic ending up possibly in the Nashville area. <gasps> you know that I'm going to be the first in the queue for this one, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can't hold myself like. together. You know what I like indeed <laughs> and I can't wait for that. So you're keeping yourself busy with that. So uh-huh. but but where else can people get their dose of Susan Holder? What else oh, are you doing? Well, well, I can't imagine why you'd want one, but if you did, <laughs> if you did. Yeah. So uh, well, again, it's really weird, isn't it? How I mean, it's all Mrs. Murray's fault. Let's blame her again, my primary school teacher. All down to Mrs. Murray. It's all down to Mrs. Murray because the fact that she put me on that kind of pathway so many years ago which I think has been a very although I've I've diversified and gone off in weird directions mm, yeah I do believe my journalistic training and background and love for journalism has actually been the bedrock to everything I have done yeah. and because I was uh, out on the promote promotional trail doing interviews about my book and get popping up in various um, news organizations radio and television I've I got asked to do some newspaper reviewing and kind of being on panels to discuss the news of the day mm. on various shows. So I've been doing GB News Breakfast and there might be some other shows there as well. And I'm now a regular on the Jeremy Vine show panel um, on Channel 5. So I was there just last week. I was there the week before. So, yeah, so I, it's a real full circle moment for me. Great. And yeah, actually really being good. back, that's the first time I've been back in a newsroom environment for, for many, many years. And there's a lot of similarities to how it used to be. It's not quite as crazy as Drop the Dead Donkey because people don't kind no. of, you know, I, I come from the days in newspapers where people would literally, and it did happen to me, throw a typewriter at you to get your attention or to tell you wow. off. So I, I did spell necessary wrong three times. I was warned. You do that One again, you, words, you get, yeah. you're going to know about it. And I, I did it for the third time and the editor threw a typewriter in my direction. They, wow. They're quite slow-moving typewriters, I've got to tell heavy, you. Heavy, heavy objects. Yeah. yeah, so I was able to get well out of the way. If they threw, We also used to have those spikes where you'd spike your carbon copy. Oh, yeah. And that whistling past your ear does also get your attention. Wow. So they use, I don't think they do. They don't have spikes or typewriters anymore, but people are a bit more PC now and don't throw things at you. And everything is a yeah. lot quieter and it's much more hushed because everyone's tapping on a keyboard. And I'm used to clackety typewriter days. Typewriters, yeah. But the madness smoke filled rooms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and the smoking. Oh, my I goodness. Know. Unreal. I, I, remember. I was yeah. never a smoker, but I used to get home from working in, in newsrooms. And literally kind of shed my outer clothing mm. at the door and put yeah. it in a bin bag. Otherwise, my entire home would have smelt of smoke because it, and yeah. I, I hated it. But again, it was something you just lived through. But now, that yeah, they're not smoke filled and they're not noisy. But the but that adrenaline of breaking news. And I mean, I, I was actually in back. GB News the weekend 
I presumed they would drop me because the Queen died um, on the Thursday and I'd been booked for the Saturday morning breakfast show. And mm. I thought, well, clearly all programming changed. Care. Clearly they're going to go with royal experts. So I, so I just, in the, in the interim day, I actually took myself down to Buckingham Palace. Just, I just felt drawn to yeah. see literally what was going on. You know, to put some flowers down, just to soak in that atmosphere of everybody, and it was really incredible to be in London at the time. And I did feel, mm. again, as a journalist, that you you were at the epicenter of the story. Yeah. On the tube, people had bunches of flowers, so you knew where everyone was going. And I actually got yeah. down there the morning after the Friday morning, and it was before all the barriers were up, and you could literally mill around in front of the gates of Buckingham Palace. Wow! And I was waiting for the call from GB News to say. Yeah, we, we did, you know, don't worry. I was actually also booked on the James Whale show on Talk TV on the night, which is quite a kind of mad kind of show. And I called them and said, yeah, obviously I won't be coming in to talk about my book or anything else because mm. you. And they went, yeah, no, fair enough. We 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 are we, we're actually off air because it all needs to be different programming. Thank yeah. you for being so understanding. I was like, no, absolutely. And I was waiting for the call from GB News to say, yeah, we we just we we're standing. They went, no, 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 you're a journalist. We want you to come in. And actually, we've seen that you're down at the the the, the palace, so we want you to come in and talk about what it's like down there being today. down there so, yeah so i actually went on um and, and did all that and we had to go through the newspapers wow and, and kind of tell the the viewers how people reporting various different things and de- various different aspects of that very important very momentous week which i felt was a real privilege to be honest yeah absolutely brilliant yeah but back to kind of where it all began i guess yes totally yeah so if our listeners not readers soon to be readers uh, yeah. want to get their hands on a copy of the book susan yes. how do they do that so yeah so I'm, I'm published by harper collins but i don't have mass distribution so i'm not in i'm not a big enough name it's all it's all the literary world is all very you know opening up to me in ways i i never understood but um but yeah so um i can be ordered from any bookshop because i'm harper collins but you won't necessarily just go in and find it on the shelf but okay. any bookshop you can you can order the books from shake it up beverly or rock and rose and you can also order it obviously online amazon waterstones foils wh smiths anywhere you get your books it can be ordered in paperback or as an ebook and shake it up beverly is also available as an audio book um rock and rose just in print or ebook form but you can you can so you can get them from anywhere but you won't trip over it in the airport though that's <laughs> result that you know not till i get much bigger name would i would i get the honor of kind of just being on a shelf like that did you voice that uh, audio book yourself? I no, bought the paperback, no, so I didn't. no. I mean, I can do a passable Liverpool impression for 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 a short burst, but I don't think anyone needs to hear me banging on for eight hours. Um, oh, no, it was a. I proper... missed that opportunity. Then you needed a scouser. And you I didn't could, know. I, to be honest, oh. I'd have cast you. I would have cast <laughs> you. Unbelievable! I, they did missed send me. The, they did. They did send me the castings to um, to listen to, and actually, yeah, yeah, it could be. Well, let's tell people it's you. It's not, it's not. It's just, <laughs> just literally, just pop my name on the bottom. It's fine. We won't tell anybody else. Just do it. <laughs> be fabulous. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. What I'd like for you to just do before we finish is to, um, I'd like to pass on you to pass on an inspirational message because you've had oh, such a wonderful career, and and it's still not likely to stop. You've got so many stories. But part of the reason for doing this podcast was try to to try to inspire the youngsters to f- follow the dream and not necessarily worry when they're 16 about picking a GCSE oh, that will match the precise absolutely. job that they wanted to do. What would you say to your 16-year-old self? I would say keep going, which I did, but that is, a, you know, keep going and be 
open to possibilities and always be heading somewhere you might not get there but you'll find another route on the way the only way to kind of stop anything happening is to lock yourself in your bedroom and never go out never do anything that's the only way the things don't happen but if Mm -hmm. you're on the it's good to have a plan and then not beat yourself up if your plan doesn't completely get executed the way you want but i think have an aim is a good thing aim for something and you don't know there i mean i was aiming for all sorts of things doesn't mean i ever got there but what i found along the way possibly was better yeah good advice and thank you again for taking time with you even susan holder utterly brilliant thank you again susan i told you it was going to be fun today guys uh, i could listen to susan for hours she's got story after story after story go get yourself that book shake it up beverly it's brilliant if you want to listen to more of our accidental careers podcasts find us on your usual platforms spotify etc and leave us a review so we know what you're thinking until the next time thank you everybody